Good morning, His people. Welcome to His People Church Online. And uh, I just want to highlight to you that if you want any more information or you want to get links to other sermons, then please do visit our website. It's at the bottom there, hispeoplepmb.co.za. And uh, you can get more information. We've been putting all our all the links to all the messages on our website. So please go and check it out. But this morning, I actually want to start off by just a message one of the ladies in our church sent this week. And this message was actually sent or given. It's a prophetic word that was given by Kim Clement in 2008. Kim Clement is a recognized prophetic voice in the nations. He actually passed away about two years ago. But he's from my hometown, Port Elizabeth. And um, Kim, in 2008, spoke this. He said, by the month of May, there'll be a shaking in the supernatural and many churches will have prayer meetings right through the night, says the Lord. There will be an unstoppable revival of prayer, ushering in one of the greatest moves that the earth has ever seen in the nation of South Africa. Therefore, get ready, says the Lord, get ready, get ready, get ready. And I was just particularly delighted. My wife responded, that was just posted in one of our church WhatsApp groups, and, and she said this, and I just felt she said it so well. She said, so blessed with how the Lord's directing us as his people to be focused on prayer so strongly. With a prayer course that we've just finished, uh, and then this last week we had our mid-year prayer, fasting, and consecration time. And part of that was our first ever 24-hour prayer chain. And uh, as my wife said, and we know he's doing the same with so many other churches. We know if God is stirring his people to pray that God has great plans, that he's wanting us to call forth, that he's wanting us to open the heavens so that he can break down, break through, pour out his spirit, and just do a mighty work. And we just say, yes, Lord. Lord, we say yes to that prophetic word spoken, Lord, 12 years ago, Father. We say, Lord, here we are, Father. Use us to pray the prayers that you are calling us to pray, that you may do in the earth the works that you are wanting to do. We say, do it in our generation, Lord. Amen. Amen. So this morning, the word I want to share, the title of my message is Inquire of the Lord, part two. So last week, I trust you got part one of this message. And I want to follow through with, with this message, with this theme of inquiring of the Lord. And, and I, I trust you realize inquiring of the Lord is another term for prayer. Inquiring of the Lord is the phrase that that is so often used in scripture. And, and particularly David, the scriptures say David inquired of the Lord many places. Here's one example in 1 Samuel. And what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trusting that you will see is that this is actually in line with this whole prayer theme that the Lord has been leading us down this, this whole year. And so this, this, this morning, what I want to do is, is look at David again. And we're going to be looking at another time that he inquired of the Lord. But this time, the incident or the place that it mentions that David actually inquires the Lord is right in Psalm 34 verse 4. And here's the Amplified Classic Version. Um, and it says this, I sought 
inquired of the Lord and required him of necessity and on the authority of his word. And he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And in this verse, it describes David inquiring of the Lord, praying to the Lord, seeking God. And it says here that he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And I think many of you would agree that together with a COVID-19 pandemic that we are experiencing across the world, it has unlocked so many fears in so many people at an unprecedented level. I was just telling my wife about a mutual friend of ours who I saw on, on, on her social media post um, that she, it was a little while ago, she had posted that their family had tested positive for COVID-19. And she was in her post describing the symptoms that various members of this family were experiencing. And she went on to say this, which I found so interesting. She said, those symptoms are not the worst. She, she, she basically said, the worst impact and the greatest impact of COVID-19 is fear. And I was, I was quite struck by that post, that the greatest, the worst symptom or the greatest impact is fear. And, and here we see a promise in scripture from David. He sought the Lord and it says the Lord heard him and delivered him or set him free from his fears. And how much don't we need that today? This is one of the results of seeking the Lord, of inquiring of the Lord, that the Lord will answer us. And through him answering us, he, he will deliver us of our fears. And so I was, I, I thought, let us unpack this. And so this story, I want to just take a bit of time and say, yeah, we're in the Psalms, 34 verse 4, and we see David inquires the Lord. But what's the background? Where? Because remember last week we looked at four different places and we looked sequentially in David's life, the different places that he sought the Lord. Where is this? What is the space that this is happening? So come with me as we look at this. Well, firstly, if you have a look in your Bible, many Bibles give a little description above some of the Psalms that say, give a little bit about the Psalm. And this is what it says about the Psalm, Psalm 34. It says, a Psalm of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. And so this is referring now to the story in 1 Samuel 21. And let's go there. It's on the next slide. And this is the story of, uh, of where David, what had happened, he had basically his best friend, Jonathan, the king's son, had come to him and told him, listen, David, you've got to flee for your life. Uh, my father, Jonathan, finally realizes that his father actually is out to kill David. And David flees and he goes to the priest at Nob. And he, and, and, and he goes there and a couple of things happen. One of the things that happen is he actually gets Goliath's sword. And that's his weapon. And then, and this, and then he's, he's going to flee because he's in Israel and this king is trying to kill him. So he flees across the border into Philistine country and he ends up in Gath. Now Gath is a town in, in, in the Philistine country. But it is the hometown of Goliath. And so David is now walking in there. He's got Goliath's sword, which would have been, I'm sure, quite noticeable. He comes walking in with Goliath's sword into Goliath's hometown 
And here he is. And he's trying to escape. He's trying to hide. He's trying to not be noticed. Okay? Um, and, and look what the Bible says here in verse 12 to 13. It says, When David realized that he had been recognized, he panicked, fearing the worst. There's that word, fear again. Fearing the worst from Achish, and that's another name from uh, of the same king, king of Gath. So right there, while they were looking at him, he pretended to go crazy, pounding his head on the city gate, foaming at the mouth, spit dripping from his beard. It's not a pretty picture here. And, and this, is, this is not a good picture here. But it says, fearing the worst. I mentioned to you that this friend of mine had mentioned that one of the worst um, she believed one of the worst effects of this whole pandemic is just fear. And I've often said that it's not wise to make important life decisions when you are in fear, based in a, in a place of fear. And I know it's easier said than done. Believers know we are meant to operate from faith. We are meant to if we're going to make a decision, let it be based on faith. Let it be based on a promise in the Word of God that stirs faith in your heart. But, but fear is such a reality. And, and I believe the Lord is wanting to set His people free from fear. And so sometimes these, come, these things come along, and I don't believe it's of God, but how, how's one of the ways God works good of it? Well, He's revealing if we have fear in our hearts. And here it says, Fearing the worst, and he goes on to say he pretended to go crazy. Now, another friend of mine I was speaking to recently, and he, and he said this to me. He said, you know, Jacques, he said, the nicest people can become so ugly because of fear. The nicest people can become so ugly because of fear. And, and I, I was just thinking about that. And obviously reflecting on my own life, my own life experience, just how fear can cause you to behave so out of character, so out of how you usually are, and making decisions and, and, and in a, from that space just is always not a good idea. And yeah, David, he gets this idea to pretend crazy. And well, it works for him. And, um, and the king, actually, this, this king, takes one look at this guy, and literally he says, and if you read, the, read on there, he says, we've got enough crazy people around, yeah, we don't need him. And they basically, they basically send him on his way, kick him out of Gath. And it's a huge relief for, for David. And so, so let's just come, come back. So that is just giving background to the little intro to the song. So let's just go a little bit to the song. Uh, and, and this is just some info about the psalm. So there are 22 verses in this psalm, Psalm 34. Remember, we just looked at verse 4, where he inquires of the Lord, and the Lord answers him and sets him free from his fears. But this psalm is an acrostic poem. What does that mean? It means that the verses begin with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. And so, so, so David wrote this psalm with each verse starting with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, why would he do this? 
it is it was a common thing in those days that if you wanted people to remember the poem or whatever you'd written, you would use this method of using an acrostic, using the alphabet, the letters of the alphabet. It was quite common. And the point was so that people who were who were who were reading it, or in this in this case, remember a psalm is written to be sung, it's a song. That this was written so that people could easily remember the words. Remember, they didn't have PowerPoint back in the day. So, so he, he wrote in a way that the guys could easily remember the words of the song. He wanted to teach this truth to them. And it's so interesting. This week I was just talking to somebody as well. And uh, we were talking about John 3.16. And I, and I asked this person, I said, do, do you know this verse? And they said, yes, I know it. And they said, you know how come I know it? They, they, they said, when I was at Sunday school, we used to sing. There was a song with the words of the song. That's why I know it. I'll never forget it. That was the words. I'll never forget the words of the song of, of that verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Because this person had sung it. And there's something about songs. How many of you don't often get a song in your mind, a verse, a jingle? And even if you, not necessarily upbuilding or edifying, it sticks because music and melody has a way of just embedding it in our memory and our souls. And so David is wanting to convey truth to these to, to, to people. So he writes it in acrostic format and he puts it in music. And this, this I believe, was a key element in what? And let me let me tell you, this is look look at verse eleven. Verse eleven of this very psalm says this. Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you. I believe, and, I'll, and, I'll, and this is what I'm getting to, that David used his psalms as a key way that, that he trained people, that he discipled people, that he equipped men in particular to develop and grow to know God and get to know truth. And to see transformation come in their lives. Remember also just speaking this week to somebody about, we're talking about transformation and how it happens. And yet sometimes God can just by His Spirit transform somebody in the moment. I love it when you pray for somebody and in the moment they're delivered of drugs or whatever. It's awesome. Sometimes He does it, but sometimes it's a process. And it's a process of walking with people. And it's a process of sowing the word truth into your life. And this psalm, I believe, was a key element that David used. And so he, it's, he says in verse 11 that the, his, his desire is to train and to teach. And then, very importantly, I want to come to this. And this is where the psalm was written. It was written in the cave of Adullam. So this is the space. Last time we looked at four other places that David sought the Lord. This week we're just camping in one place. And that is the cave of Adullam. So folks, I want to welcome you. Welcome to the cave of Adullam. You say, mm, never been there. Let me submit to you that I think that many of us this year in 2020 have been spending time in our very own cave of Adullam. Just think about a cave. It's confined, it's restricted, not much movement, etc. And hey, I think describing lockdown as being in a cave is not a bad description. And so I thought when I was just reading the story and finding out about the cave of Adullam, I thought, this is just so true. 
And so, folks, it's important. David wrote this psalm. He sought the Lord in the cave of Adullam. He sought the Lord. The Lord answered him. The, the Lord delivered him of his fears um, in the cave of Adullam. And he wrote this psalm um, in the cave of Adullam. Now, let's just find out about the cave of Adullam. And let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 22. There's just a few verses on from the previous um, verses we read in 1 Samuel and um, it says, after he left Gath, after the king said, that man's crazy, get him out of my sight, I've got enough crazy people around here, David can leave Gath, and he actually, look at what it says, so David got away and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and, and others associated with his family heard where he was, they came down and joined him. And verse 2 says, not only that, but all who were down on their luck, came around. Losers, and vagrants, and misfits, all sorts. David became their leader. There were about 400 in all. 400 men. Folks, but look at the description of these men that joined him in the cave of Adullam. It says, they were down on their luck, they were losers, they were vagrants. They were misfits of all sorts. What a ragtag rabble to build an army with. And all, all we know is David was their leader. Now, what, and there were about 400 and all. Now, let me just tell you a little bit. I said we're going we're gonna to go into the, the cave of Adullam. Nowadays, it's so easy to, to just... Go on YouTube, and I found a, a very sh a, a, some there's some great little videos that I watched about the cave of Adullam. Now, this is actually a network of caves. There were 400 men. It wasn't a small cave. They were near this town called Adullam. It's a border town, and this town is literally on the border zones between the Philistines on the one side and, is and Israel on the other. And it is sort of near a hilltop, and they. There are these, these holes into the ground and this network of caves. Um, and and there are all these like rooms like inside. And I've seen videos of guys going in these caves and there are a number of entrances and exits out of this hilltop from this whole labyrinth of caves under the ground. And so the, 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 the videos I was watching of the guys going in, they were astounded. They said, many more than probably 400 could easily live in the underground there, etc. And I was, I was just thinking about how it must have resounded. When I was listening to the video of these guys underneath there and the cave was echoing, I was just wondering about what it must have sounded like when David and these 400 men were singing the song, the psalm, Psalm 34, and how it was resounding in the caves of Adullam. It must have been beautiful. It must have been just so inspiring. And there are two other psalms that David actually wrote there, Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. He also wrote uh, in the, the cave of Adullam. And, and these 400 men, now, now we look at this description of them. Losers, vagrants, misfits, people down on their luck. And other Bible translations put delicious descriptions for these guys. Basically, this is not the kind of people you really want to build a world-changing army with, which they became. Folks, we must remember what became of these men. 
after spending time with David, after spending, and they spent a good few months in these caves, and then they, they were, they, they were cha- being chased around by, this, by Saul for a good few years. God was shaping them. God was molding them in these years and months, in these months that they spent in the ca- these caves, singing this particular psalm and singing the truth. God was transforming their lives through the leadership of David as David led them in the ways of God, as David discipled them, as David taught them these songs, as David made them sing these songs. It was life-changing. Just how life-changing was it? Well, let's go to 2 Samuel, where it describes David's mighty men. And the term David's mighty men, it's Bible. These, these are Bible words. Look over 2 Samuel 23. And I'm just reading verse 8. Please take some time and go and read it. I, I could just spend all morning just talking about David's mighty men. These guys did phenomenal things. Look in verse 8. Just the first guy. First is what he did. These are the names of David's mighty men. And he's got a big delicious name that, that I thought I'd just um, spare you. But it says of this dude, chief of the three, he raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. One against 800. That is huge odds. With his spear, what? Folks, he was previously described as a loser, as a down and outer. Some of them, some Bible translations describe them as guys who were in a lot of debt. People were running away from the law. They were a bunch of criminals and crooks and down and outs. Yeah, this whole, read in chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, what incredible warriors they were. David used these men, the transformative impact of a leader anointed and called by God to lead these men, was David built the greatest army that Israel had ever seen. David destroyed all his enemies, all the Philistine armies that came against him. David was victorious. He built the greatest army that Israel had ever seen out of those bunch of losers. Folks, This is the transforming power of our God under an anointed leader called by God who committed to teaching them the word, teaching them truth about God, teaching them to seek the Lord, teaching them to inquire of the Lord. Folks, if you take anybody, put if they may have the label, label loser, you teach them to find God, to seek God, to hear from God, allow God to set them free of all their fears, etc. That man or woman is going to be transformed. And that's what David did. He got these men to sing these psalms. And as they were singing, that truth was going inside them. They were being transformed by the word of God. As they sang the word, they declared it, they memorized it, and they were transformed. And these guys, David's men, instead of being a bunch of bandits, who they were when they came to him, they became the good guys. Remember last week, we, we, we read about this Caleb, where they went to go and save this town from the, the raiding Philistines, etc., they were the good guys. My, my daughter was actually just saying that she thought that the whole story of Robin Hood and his merry men is really a, was a, a version of David because that's what these guys did. 
They were looking, all the people around them were blessed. They looked after them, they cared for them, etc. Huge transformation happens over here. And I want to submit to you that, that David, by training them in the word, this transformation happened. And this, I believe, is what God wants to do in and through all of our lives. God, um, God is wanting to do this. And so, let's go on. I want to I wanna just get into the psalm a little bit. And let us read. And it's 22 verses. I, I was hoping we could get through a lot of it. I realize in the time we have, we're not going to be able to. But I want to dig a little bit in just a couple of the verses so you can see. And so, yeah, the Passion Bible. So we're going to just look at first the first three verses. Look at what it says. So remember, David is teaching these men. I want you to imagine 400 men in these caves singing this song. Lord, I'm bursting with joy over what you've done for me. My lips are full of perpetual praise. I'm boasting of you and all your works. So let all who are discouraged take heart. Join me, everyone. Let's praise the Lord together. Let's make him famous. Let's make his name glorious to all. Can you imagine these men, how many times they would have sung these words and these caves resounding with these praises? Folks, these 400 men became the leaders of the nation of Israel. They transformed the entire nation. They, they sang praise. And this is the reality, folks. Praising God has got nothing to do with your circumstances. They started singing these songs way before a lot of this had come to pass. Before they were making the Lord famous. Before they were making his name glorious to all. They started praising God in the, in the low place that they were. David and these men, they were all on the run from the law. On the one side, they have the Philistine army. On the other side, they have the Israelite army. All trying to find them. All trying to nail them. All trying to arrest them. All trying to kill them. And these men are transformed by this truth that David teaches them and gets them to sing, gets them to declare. Folks, praise is all about who God is and God doesn't change. doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Praise remains the same. This week, particularly during the 24-hour prayer chain that we had, there were times God was just exhorting us to praise. We were, we were roaring and we were declaring things, etc., because our God does not change. It doesn't matter what our circumstances happen. Uh, we go through. God doesn't change. And so our praises of Him doesn't change. They remain forever. So the first thing is, He teaches them to praise. And remember in the prayer course we've been doing, uh, which was based on the Lord's Prayer, the first part of the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When we start seeking God, when we want to come to God in prayer, we always start by praising Him. We, it makes such a difference when you pray with a vantage point of who He is, how majestic He is, how awesome He is, how good He is. When you have spent time praising Him and then you pray, it makes a big difference to your prayers. You will pray from a such a different place. And so starting by, by adoring the Lord, praising Him, worshipping Him is such an important thing. We don't just sing songs at the beginning of church because it's tradition. It is transformative. It's, it's a pattern we see in Scripture. We want to pray from heaven to earth. 
not the other way around. Because the prayers we pray from heaven are just life-changing. We're praying life. And so the first thing he gets these men to praise God. And then let's look on. And I'm looking now in the Living Bible, the same verse, verse 4, that we looked earlier in the Amplified. And it says of David, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. I want to submit to you, fears, as much as, as real as they seem, I love the acrostic I heard many years ago for the word fear. F-E-A-R stands for false evidence appearing real. I want to submit to you that most fears are based on lies. And how do you, how do you overcome a lie? You need to encounter the truth. And look what David says. He said, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. When God answers us, he's speaking truth. He's bringing truth. We're getting God's perspective on a matter. Whether it, whether it is your circumstances, it's about a person, it's about your situation, it's about a need you have. When you get God's answer, that sets us free from fear. And that's what David is teaching these men. That's what they sing. This is the experience. This is transformative. Teach a man or woman to seek God. Teach a man or woman to hear from God. Hear truth that transforms and sets them free from their fears. That man will be and woman will be transformed into a mighty man. Verse 5 says, Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In this verse, verse 5, we just see the transformation that happens in people's lives that seek God, that come to Him in prayer. Look what happens. It says, speaks about no shadow of shame. Folks, shame would have characterized the losers that came to David in the cave of Adullam. Those 400 men that came, they would have carried shame. It would have, shame, I believe, is sometimes the greatest weight. It's the, one of the biggest burdens that people carry is shame. Cause people to hide, cause people to run. And, and it is, it is something that is so destructive in people's lives. So it says here, no shadow of shame. Remember, what is a shadow? It's, 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 it's just, it's, it's, it's the remnant of the reality. That is how much the shame is taken away. There isn't even a shadow of it. And it says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. See the transformation he's describing here. Having shame versus being radiant with joy. The transformation is amazing. David is teaching his people to seek God. The Bible says, in his presence is fullness of joy. Their faces are radiant with joy. A radiant face is just so, is just so noticeable. They, 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 their faces become radiant as they seek the Lord, as they spend time in his presence. And the shame is broken off them. No shame will darken their faces. Look at what uh, verse 6 says. In my desperation I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. Now, can you see he's repeating the same, same themes repeat throughout the psalm. For example, verse 6 is basically, he's restating verse 4 in just different words. Same theme repeating throughout. What's interesting, he's, he's remembering, and remember, when David was in Gath, 
and he realizes they've recognized me. I've got I've got Goliath's sword hanging from my side here. I'm in Goliath's town. They realize this is the dude who killed Goliath, our champion, etc. They're talking about him, etc. He was filled with fear. And then remember, he pretended to be crazy. And I was just thinking about he the, the Bible says describes him as he was going around hitting his head on the on the doors. Um, uh, scratching the doors, drool coming down. Yes, he was f- uh, pretending to be crazy, but I don't know about you, but sometimes the prayers that we pray are really desperate prayers. And yes, I can very, very easily imagine that to the to the people looking at me looked like crazy. But I believe that in that moment, he's referring here to in his desperation how he prayed to the Lord. To people on the outside, it looked like he was going crazy. On inside, he was crying out to God to deliver him. He realized he was in desperate danger in the city surrounded by enemies. They could so easily have killed him there. He was crying out in his desperation. He prayed to the Lord, and the Lord listened and saved him from his troubles. And this is also a story of many of the men who had been on the run and come to him in the cave of Adana. Let's look at what verse 7 says. For the angel of the Lord is a God. He surrounds and defends all who fear him. The reality of knowing God's protection. And here David is speaking about angelic protection. The Bible says in the New Testament that that angels are there to minister to heirs of salvation. We don't worship angels, but they're a reality. It is one of the ways God often will answer our prayers to him for many things, including protection. Here we reveal, the scripture reveals that the angels are gods. They surround us. They defend. They protect us. And this is a reality. In this time, and, and uh, one of the commentators said, the, 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 the notion that they are guardian angels is actually a biblical idea. A guardian angel. What is a guardian angel? comes from with a god. Here the Bible says, the angel of the Lord is a God. Guardian angel is not a foreign concept. Okay, we can make it weird, but we're not going to. We're going to stick to scripture. One of the responsibilities of angels is they guard us. They protect us. Folks, in this time that we're in Dunham's cave, in this pandemic, we need to know the reality that God assigns angels in answer to our prayers to protect us. And folks, it's so important that we need to know the protection of the Lord. I have been surprised how many times in the last few months I have personally prayed for God's protection. God is a protector. How he protects me, sometimes it's with angels. Sometimes his spirit may intervene, etc. I don't mind. I can't see everything happening in the spiritual realm. But I believe my Bible that there are angels that God has to protect us. I'm happy with that. I'm God. However you want to protect me, I trust you. My response is to trust God, pray to Him, and and, and trust Him to protect me. So here we are in verse 7. And I was working through these verses, and I was like, there is so much truth. This this, this, um, uh, chapter 34 of Psalms is so pregnant. And I I was reading through, I was reading different translations. And then, very interestingly, my wife's reading... Bible reading for today is Psalm 34. I didn't realize it. And she was in the kitchen. I went through 
And she was listening to Psalm 34 on her on her little app, her Bible app. And so I thought, let me, let me just step back. And I actually went and I listened. I just got it on my phone, Psalm 34, and I just listened. And I just played it over and over a couple of times. And this is what I was listening. I was saying, Lord, there is so much truth. I only have so much time to bring the word this morning. Just show me what are the main truths. And as I listened, as I listened over and over again, there were just a couple of things that jumped out of me. And I was listening. What are the recurring themes? What are the things that David is repeating that he wants the men to sing over and over? These are truths that you need to get for transformation to happen, for you to be transformed, to be a mighty man, a woman of God. These are truths we need to get a hold of. And on the next slide, I'm going to put them up for you. These are the recurring themes that I see. We've touched on some of them. And I just want to pick up on a few more before we close. And these are some of the themes. Firstly, praise Him. We've looked at that, the first three verses. Seek Him and inquire them. We've looked at that in verse 4 and verse 6, and it recurs again a couple of times again. The whole theme of seeking God. He's teaching men to have a personal, intimate relationship with the living God. That's transformative. When you hear truth, when you hear God speaking into your own heart, as opposed to somebody else saying, this is what the Bible says, or I believe this is what God's saying to you. When you hear it, it's life-changing. Folks, we need to hear God for ourselves. It's one of the greatest. I've been saying this this whole year. I believe it's our superpower. The ability to be led by the Spirit of God, that what sets us apart, is, is, is the fact that God leads us. He is our Good Shepherd. Then, these last few themes I want to highlight. He will set you free. Now we've again picked this up in verse 4 and verse 6. That he delivered uh, uh, David from the city of Gath. And time after time, battle after battle, these men experienced God setting them free. Okay, So the, the, the theme of being set free and his protection, they actually go together. Because ideally, we want to experience God's protection Ideally, we don't want to get into a situation like being in Gath, surrounded by enemies, and now you need to be, you need to be yanked out of you. God, get me out of here. We actually, ideally don't want to get out of your situations. We are like, God, I don't want to get into that situation. I don't want to be caught in the city of Gath, surrounded by enemies. God, protect me. But if, for example, we get into that situation, we are still going to trust God to get us out. If we get there. And I was thinking it's so similar to healing. We are trusting God for divine health. But if we do get sick. If we do contract COVID-19. We then are still trusting God to heal us. Doesn't mean he's left us. Doesn't mean he's forsaken us. Sometimes he protects us. And sometimes he sets us free. Or sometimes he heals us. Amen. He's the same God. And then another thing. He says in verse 10. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I love that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's actually, that verse is repeated twice in the New Testament. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And the, the reality is, David, tasting and seeing is, is experiential. He's talking about your senses. He's saying, I want you to know the goodness of God, not just theoretically. Not just in your praise, praise that he's good, but actually experience it. And if you look in the psalm, it's actually a recurring theme. He talks, and these men experience it. From being down and out as in the cave of Adullam, 
to being the leaders of the nation, to seeing the nation being transformed, they would have experienced the blessing and the goodness of God in all of their lives. It's awesome. Very important theme he goes into also is he says, taste and see that he's good, but do good as well. If you read this, he's instructing them how to speak good, how to act good, and he highlights the contrast of if not doing good is doing evil or speaking evil, etc. And he highlights, he's training them, he's discipling them. Folks, we must not stop from training people around us that what is right, some people actually, because of whatever their background is, they battle to discern what is right and what is wrong. And sometimes we just need to call a spade a spade and say, hang on, doing that, talking like that, speaking like that, that action, that's just, that's not how we as Christians roll, okay? It is so important. We, um, sometimes our actions, actually very often our actions speak louder than our words, and so doing good is so important. He's good, do good, and finally fear him. Fearing God. You know, Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, Proverbs so pregnant with truth and wisdom, he said, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You can't actually get all this truth that's going to transform your life if you don't have a reverence and a respect and an honor and a deference for the one who speaks the wisdom, for the one who brings the truth. Folks, it is so foundational to fear him. It's foundational to know that God is good. He is, I love the phrase, he's gooder than you think. There isn't such a word, I know. He's gooder than you think. But at the same time, the, knowing God's incredible goodness, together with knowing that he is God. This isn't your power on the playground. This is God. When he speaks his word, there's authority in that word. And so these truths, I just want to highlight, these are the recurring truths that I highlighted that I see repeating in the psalm. He made them sing this. Those, the cave of Adullam resounded with these truths. And these truths didn't just resound in the cave of Adullam. It resounded in the hearts and the souls of these men. It transformed them. These truths are life-changing. And so I want to encourage you, spend time in the psalm. This, this psalm in the cave of Adullam, folks, why don't you sing this song? I don't know what melody. Pick a melody. Make a melody. There are hundreds of melodies you could sing with this song. Pray this song. Speak this song. Declare the song. Let, let this, the, the words, the truth of the song. The point is that it permeate. Let it become part of you. Because the result of these truths, the result of, of, of an anointed leader like David, called a called leader of David, imparting these truths to these people, is they became mighty. They weren't before, but God transformed. Changing lives is what we're passionate about. We, we, we came to the city 15 years ago to plant one foot on the campus and one foot in the community, to see lives changed. We're still as passionate as we were 15 years ago, to see lives change. We say, God changed lives. Folks, this is how God changes lives. Amen. David, an anointed leader, saw lives being changed, saw a nation being transformed as he as he sowed, as he as he built this in men. He didn't just teach them how to use swords and assegais and, and do push-ups and exercise. I'm sure they did that stuff. 
Folks, this is the stuff he put into them. This is what made them mighty men. And I want to close just with that scripture again that we opened with. And it says, I sought and inquired of the Lord and required him of necessity. Lord, we say we require you of necessity. And on the authority of your word, Lord, this is your word, Psalm 34. It's anointed and inspired by you. And Lord, you hear us. Lord, Lord, you hear us. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers and you answer our prayers. And you deliver us from all our fears. Lord, I pray that your word, which is sharp than a two-edged sword, would do a mighty work in us. It would deliver us from our fears. Lord, thank you that in this time you're revealing fears. Lord, we are grateful that we see them so that we can be delivered of them. Speak your truth. Bring your truth, Lord, to set us free of our fears. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.